Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. It is so wonderful to see you here tonight. If you're joining us online, a special welcome to you. My name is Tim Park. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, I want to take a moment just to, to let you know, uh, all throughout the year, our worship arts ministry, they work hard. They work tremendously every single weekend of the entire year. This season, the Christmas season, is especially busy for them. And I cannot thank God enough for our worship arts ministry. Can you join me in thanking our worship arts ministry? They serve so faithfully on the stage, up in the booth, behind the scenes, to make this all possible. And so I stood there just in awe of what God is doing in his church. And so thank you, Worship Arts team. And for those who are visiting for the first time, a special welcome to our church. Uh, It's so wonderful to worship with you on this Christmas Eve 2021. I want to tell you about an event that takes place every June up in Northern California. Now, this event is not known by most people. Only the the few in this niche community uh, know what this event is all about. It's called the Western States Endurance Run. And it takes place every June in Northern California. It's a prestigious event in the running community. And for some, it's a a lifetime uh, bucket list item because it is a grueling, uh, demanding endurance run. And by the way, you can't just show up and say, hey, I want to run this thing, okay? You have to qualify for this race. And even when you qualify for it, there's no guarantee that you can run the race because your name is then placed in a lottery. And for some people, it takes years and years and years just for their names to be selected from the lottery to be able to run in this event. And so let me describe the Western States Endurance Run here for a minute. It's a trail run that spans 100 miles. 100 miles. Now, to give you an idea and to put it into perspective, that's the distance between Diamond Bar and La Jolla down in San Diego County, 100 miles. I want you to take a look at the map of this course for the Western States Endurance Run. It starts off in a small town just outside of Lake Tahoe in Squaw Valley. And these runners, they go up and down uh, treacherous terrain, mountainous, dangerous terrain, all through the hills, and finally end at a small town just northeast of Sacramento, a city called Auburn in Northern California. Now, this race that goes 100 miles has a temperature range from as low as 20 degrees Fahrenheit with snow to 100 plus degrees Fahrenheit with scorching heat, all in the same race, because they're going high in elevation, down low, back up high, down low. All the while, these runners, they're facing dangerous situations 
around them. And now every so many miles, there are these aid stations where there's food and beverage and first aid kits uh, because what happens is this. Along the way, runners, they often lose toenails because they're running so much and they're running in upwards conditions, downward, and their toenails eventually just fall off their toes. So they come, they come away with uh, missing toenails. They come away with cramps. They have uh, digestive issues. Sounds like a lot of fun, huh? <laughs> so, who in their right mind would want to run a hundred miles through the mountains in a hundred degree weather and twenty degree weather? Sounds pretty fascinating. In fact, I think. I've mentioned more than a few times to Joanne that it would be incredible if I could one day run this race. Right? Who in their right mind would want to do that? By the way, I have a friend who was accepted into the lottery, and so he'll be running it in June, so I'll ask him all about it next June. Now imagine, imagine running this race, the Western States Endurance Run, over the course of 100 miles, from Lake Tahoe to Auburn, California. But this time, imagine doing it while you're nine months pregnant. And that gives you an idea of what Mary endured to get from her home in Nazareth to Bethlehem. You see, Mary and Joseph journeyed in very similar hills, in very similar conditions, over 90 miles from their home to Bethlehem. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 2. Now I want to read to you verses 1 through 5. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. You can also follow along up here on our screen as well. The Gospel of Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says this. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now let's just stop there for a minute. The path that Mary and Joseph took to get to Bethlehem was nothing short of treacherous. And yet, when we read this account, you really couldn't tell. You see, because Luke, he just kind of just matter-of-factly just says, oh, they just went from their home in Nazareth to Bethlehem. That's it. Now, why would Luke, a great historian, and by the way, a doctor, why would Luke, why would he be just so understated about this journey? Okay. He was meticulous in all that he did. 
So why would he not mention all the danger that awaited them? By the way, when Mary and Joseph traversed the mountains to get to Bethlehem, it was very different than those running the Western States endurance race. You see, those running the race, they had nice, expensive wind and rainproof jackets. They had these state-of-the-art running shoes with traction. Mary and Joseph had no such thing. The runners had crews ready to hand them sandwiches and beverages and band-aids. Mary and Joseph had nothing. Oh, and by the way, when they journeyed from Nazareth to Bethlehem, they faced dangers at every corner. You see, because that road to Bethlehem also included dangerous wild animals, boars and lions. And if that wasn't bad enough, there were thieves and bandits ready to rob those going by. You know, archaeologists, they've unearthed documents at that time warning travelers about the dangers that awaited them. And so my question is, why would Luke, this historian, so meticulous about details, why would he not mention any of that? He just says, oh, they went from Nazareth to Bethlehem. That's it. Well, here's why. The original audience of this letter, they knew exactly, they knew exactly what that path held. You see, because many of those reading this account, they had traveled. They had traveled from Nazareth to Bethlehem themselves. So they knew exactly all the dangers that awaited Mary and Joseph. It was a grueling trip. It lasted probably about a week or more. Experts say at that time, a healthy person could travel no more than about 20 miles a day at that time. If you're pregnant... And if you're nine months pregnant and you were full term, experts say maybe at most Mary traveled 10 miles a day. So that journey lasted over a week. You know, the road to Bethlehem was an arduous one. But by God's grace, they arrived. And when they got there, look at verses 6 and 7. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, some of your translations might say there was no room for them in the inn. You know, popular tradition tells us that the inn was some sort of hotel. And that's usually the image that you and I get, right? When we read the word or hear the word in, I-N-N, our first thought is, well, it must be a hotel, right? Because holiday in, comfort in. So we have this image in our minds that they traveled to Bethlehem and they found a hotel. But did you know that the word in that we see in this passage is actually associated with what we know as a guest room in a house. 
That's why it's so important for us to know the context, the immediate context of what was taking place at that time. These days, on Sunday mornings here at our church, we've been going through a series called Boundless, a study of God's Word. And we've been going over the various genres of the different books of the Bible because it's important for us to know how to study the Bible. And these genres, knowing them, helps us to better understand God's Word. And we know that context plays a key role in understanding the various passages in the Bible. Now, we here in the Western world in the 21st century, we have a certain image when we read this of what life must have been like in Jesus' time. But here's the challenge. The challenge is to overcome our own understanding. You see, because we come with our 21st century cultural understanding here in the West about what life was like. But oftentimes, life at that time was very different than the life you and I live here in the 21st century. And so, I want to give you a little picture of what life was like back then and how homes were like back then. In first century Palestine, Bethlehem was a tiny, tiny city. It would barely ever show up on a GPS map. It was so small. That's why we have the song, O Little Town of Bethlehem. Now, Bethlehem is where Joseph's ancestors lived and were from. And so he had to return to Bethlehem to register for the census. Now picture Joseph and Mary arriving in Bethlehem. When they get there to this tiny town, certainly they would have arrived at their relatives' home. You see, they weren't looking for a hotel. They were looking for their relatives. And what you want to know is this. In first century Palestine, hospitality was hugely important. Just like hospitality is important in most cultures even today. And so in first century Palestine, certainly when Joseph and Mary arrived, their relatives greeted them. You see, because it would have been an offense to make Mary and Joseph stay somewhere. Oh, here, go, stay at the hotel. It would have been an offense to them. And so they found their way to Joseph's relative's home. So I want you to picture this. First century Palestinian homes were very different than homes in the 21st century. Back then, homes were often built inside caves and to the contour of the caves. And homes in first century Palestine often had several tiers, terraces. The top terrace was devoted to the guest room. Again, because hospitality was so important. So they would have a guest room. That's the top level. And then just below that would be the main living quarters where the family hung out, where they ate. That would be the main quarters for the family. And then just below that level, maybe about four feet down, was the place where the animals were kept. Now, you and I, today, we have dogs and cats, and they live under the same roof. We all live under one roof in our homes. Back then, just picture in first century Palestine, not really dogs or cats, but they had like donkeys and sheep. And so oftentimes, at nighttime, 
the homeowners would bring their animals into their homes, into that bottom level of this tri-level house. And so when Joseph and Mary arrived in Bethlehem, and they arrived at their relatives' home, by that time, the city had become bigger because of all the people had to go back to their hometown to register. And apparently, at that time, when Mary and Joseph arrived, other relatives possibly were already in the guest room. So there was no room for them in the guest room, which is why they stayed down below amongst the donkeys and the sheep. You see, when we read this account, we don't really get a grasp of that. Luke just simply says, they arrived, she gave birth. So you and I, we have to put ourselves into the shoes of first century Palestine to understand the gravity of what took place They traveled 90-some miles to get to Joseph's hometown. When they got there, the guest room was occupied. They had to sleep with the animals. Luke's account is so matter-of-fact. Why, though? Here's the reason why. His account illustrates the humble birth of the Savior of the world. You see, Jesus wasn't born in a palace amongst royalty. He was born amongst peasants, which is why it was only fitting that something else, very surprising and unexpected, took place. Look at verses 8 through 14. Luke continues. He says this, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. The angel of the Lord, this messenger of God, had an important announcement. Now, you all know this. Birth announcements are so important, right? They are so big. They're such a big deal that when new parents have a new baby, they make sure that the most important people in their lives know first and foremost. Grandparents, wouldn't it be really sad if you found out about the birth of your grandchild on social media? That would be wrong. So parents, please make sure you contact your grandparents, your parents first and foremost. Grandparents should never have to find out the birth of their grandchildren by looking at Facebook or Instagram. That would be like the, the worst kind of FOMO. You know what FOMO is, right? FOMO, which is, what, what is FOMO? The fear of missing out. That would be the worst kind of FOMO 
for grandparents. You know, FOMO is a real thing. You know that, right? FOMO is real in our society. It is so real that the Oxford Dictionary has made it an official word. So if you actually open up the Oxford Dictionary, you'll see the word FOMO. And here's the definition of FOMO. FOMO is an anxiety that an exciting or interesting event may currently be happening elsewhere, often aroused by posts seen on social media websites. That's the Oxford Dictionary definition of the word FOMO. And FOMO has gotten gotten so bad in our day and age today that there are actual articles written on how to cope with FOMO. Believe it or not, here's a title of one such article. Why your friends might exclude you and what you can do. FOMO is real in this day and age. Feeling left out is not a good feeling. We like to be in the know. We like to be included. It makes us feel important. And that's what makes this appearance of the angel so remarkable. You see, the angel appeared to shepherds, not to royalty, not to government officials, to shepherds. Did you know that shepherding was considered the bottom of the social ladder? If you were a shepherd, you were looked down upon. In fact, at that time, shepherds were often considered liars and degenerates. The religious leaders especially looked down on the shepherds because they often did their work, the shepherds, on the Sabbath. So the religious leaders looked down upon shepherds. And so the announcement of the Savior of the world came to shepherds of all people. I mean, no wonder they were afraid, right? After all, they had this bad reputation. When the angel appeared to the shepherds, my thought is the the, uh, shepherds must have thought, oh, great, what did we do this time? What are you blaming us for this time? But the message was very clear. The angel said, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for, and here's the key, all the people. This included Jews and Gentiles. This included the rich and the poor. This included the religious, and the non-religious. The good news back then and the good news today does not discriminate. That is why the angel appeared to, of all people, the shepherds. And so, my friends, tonight, no matter your background, no matter your upbringing, no matter your social status, and no matter your history, the good news is for all the people, not for some of the people, not for the privileged few. The good news is for all the people. You see, God knew what he was doing when he sent the angel to announce the birth to shepherds of all people. You see, Jesus came to be the good shepherd. And he also came 
to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So it was only fitting that the angel appeared to shepherds whose job it was to take care of sheep. And these shepherds, after getting over the initial shock, they, they heard a multitude singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to all those on whom his favor rests. You know, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, he prophesied that the Messiah would be called the Prince of Peace. In the New Testament, the word peace is often synonymous with the word rest. In the Gospels, Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 2021 has been another challenging and difficult year for the entire world. You know, in our personal lives, in our jobs, in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in 2021, we faced more difficult decisions and we faced many more difficult situations. We've all experienced what it means to be weary or burdened. This past Sunday, I shared with our congregation to stop carrying the burden of the world on our shoulders. You see, because that's his job. Sometimes I get overwhelmed by thinking, if I make this decision and I make that decision, this is going to impact the entire church. And oftentimes there's a weight on these shoulders. In your homes, in your workplaces, in your neighborhoods, you have those same kinds of decisions and those same kinds of burdens. And this Christmas, what Jesus is saying is, you know what? Come to me, all you who are burdened, all who are tired, and I will give you rest. And maybe there's some here tonight, maybe some who are watching online, that you are just trying your best, and yet the weariness and the, the fatigue and the discouragement is getting the best of you. Tonight, Jesus says, come to me, and if we do, we will find rest in him. You see, rest comes when we realize what Jesus has already done for us. My question to you tonight is this. Are we laboring to be good enough? If so, our efforts will never be good enough to please God. There's no reason to try harder to please God because he already loves us as much as he can. Tonight, Jesus says, come to me. And if we do, we will find rest in him. And then he goes on. You see, because the religious leaders at that time, they all said, do, do, do. You have to keep doing. Jesus says, come. But he doesn't stop there. He then says, take. Take my yoke upon you. Kids, do you know what a yoke is? Okay. 
Now, there's, as, oh, there's one type of yolk, right? The yellow part of an egg. Okay, I love eggs, and I love the yolk. Here in the Bible, this is a different type of yolk. The Y-O-K-E describes this device, this harness that oxen will be bound together by. So a pair of oxen would have this device put on them so they could work together in pairs. And so Jesus says, take my yoke and put it on you. You see, the solution to our weariness is always the yoke of Jesus. The yoke is the key to our rest. If you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed tonight, maybe with your family, school, work, whatever it might be, the uncertainty of the future, it's time to put the yoke of Jesus around your neck. By the way, can I say this? The yoke of Jesus, it doesn't make all the hard things in life disappear. If you put the yoke of Jesus on your neck, it's not going to make all those things disappear. It does something better. It keeps us right there by his side so that we can learn from him, we can grow from him. There's a story that some of you might be familiar with. For others, it might be new to you. One day, a man went to see a farmer who was plowing his field with a pair of oxen. So the man who visited the farmer, he noticed one ox was much bigger than the other ox. He found that quite strange. So he asked the farmer, why do you have what seems to be mismatched oxen under the same yoke? Well, the man, the farmer, said the bigger ox was the older ox, that he was well-trained. He knew his way around the field. The smaller ox was a young ox. The young ox didn't know his way around the field. But this man still wondered, well, well why would you still put these odd-looking ox together? One is massive, one is tiny. Well, the farmer said this, you see, it's like this. The older ox is the best ox I've ever had. The reason why I put the younger ox with him is because if I left the younger ox by himself, he would pull himself to death. But together with the older ox, he learns to cooperate and he learns to rest in the strength of that older ox. So when Jesus says, come to me, all who are tired and weary and burdened, what he's saying is, come next to me and learn from me. Next to me, all those things won't disappear. Family troubles, work issues, all those things won't disappear. But next to me, 
you will rest in my strength in the midst of those troubles. A year ago tonight, our Christmas Eve service was exclusively online. I was uh, speaking to all of you on a camera. We didn't gather in person last Christmas Eve. During that season, we gathered outside on Sunday mornings. As I look back, in March of 2020, 22 months ago, very few people in the world thought that we would be where we were in December of 2020. In March of 2020, most of the world thought, oh, by December of 2020, everything will be back to normal. Last December, December 2020, I imagine most people thought, oh, by December of 2021, certainly the entire world will be back to normal. But here we are now, still navigating through the season. And as difficult as the last 22 months have been for our entire world, here's what we can have confidence in tonight. Growth often happens in the most difficult of seasons. Growth often happens in the most difficult of seasons. This is a time of the year when we start to think about New Year's resolutions, right? In 2022, I'm going to eat better and exercise more. Those are great. And I support all those things. A year ago on Christmas Eve, I asked everybody watching online two questions as we prepared to head into 2021. Last December, we were coming off an emotionally charged season, weren't we? In December of 2020, the nation was divided, homes were divided, churches were divided. Well, here we are a year later, and we're still struggling through many of those same divisions. So as we head into 2022, I'm going to ask you all the same two questions I asked last Christmas Eve, just in case you've forgotten. I asked you two questions last Christmas Eve. I'm going to ask you the very same questions tonight. The first question is to other people. So the first question I want you to ask to others. The second question I want you to ask yourself. The first question is this. What hurts? What hurts? Tomorrow, on Christmas Day, ask a loved one, ask a friend, ask a fellow church member, what hurts? In other words, what burdens you? What overwhelms you? And then the second question that I want you to ask is to yourself. And that second question is this. How can I help? Now, certainly, that's a question we often ask other people. Hey, how can I help? 
what can I do? And that's okay, I guess. But here's what often happens. The other person says, don't worry about it. I'm good. I don't need anything. I don't want to burden you. And oftentimes we are content to leave it there, aren't we? So that's why my encouragement to you tonight is to ask yourself the second question, not to the other person. Just say to yourself, how can I help? You see, because if we ask ourselves that question and we don't wait for the other person to respond with their need, here's what happens. We take the initiative. We can just simply drop off a meal at the doorstep, ring the doorbell and run away. We can drop off a dessert. We can send a card in the mail. If we know someone is hurting, we don't have to wait for them to respond to us. We can just say to ourselves, how can I help? And then we take initiative. What hurts? And how can I help? You see, God knew that we were hurting. And he didn't ask us, how can I help? He acted, and he sent a package. And by the way, that package arrived on time. Not a day too late. What hurts? How can I help? Thank you for worshiping with us tonight. Thank you for being part of this special evening. God bless you. Merry Christmas. In a moment, we're going to all gather together in the parking lot to close out our service with a singing of Silent Night, Holy Night. On your way out, you'll receive a candle from one of the attendants. Please take that down to the parking lot. We'll gather in a circle. We'll light the candle, and we'll sing two rounds of Silent Night, Holy Night. And by the way, when we're done singing, if you didn't get a chance to take a picture with your loved ones in, our, in front of our photo booth on Sunday, the photo booth is ready for you inside the landing. And so after we sing Silent Night, Holy Night, make your way to the landing, take a few photos, and head off to dinner. Would you all stand with me? Father, as we get ready to go outside under the stars, thank you. Thank you that there's no rain right now, God. And we look forward to singing to our Heavenly Father under the stars. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.